Welcome to episode 36 of Can We Still Be Friends, the podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. For a second year in a row, the Academy has failed to nominate a single person of color in the four acting categories. This complete omission of non-white nominees highlights a problem the Oscars have had for 88 years. Some argue that it isn't that non-white people are actively omitted, there are just fewer nomination-worthy performances by people of color. And while that argument is fallacious for several reasons, it also doesn't address the issue that people of color have been ignored for awards even when they have created widely acclaimed films. The film we decided to do for this episode, Boys in the Hood, is one such example. Neither Ryan nor I have seen this movie, but it has been highly respected ever since it came out in 1991, and it has always been on our watch list. Boys in the Hood was well-received by critics upon its release and received a 20-minute standing ovation at the Cannes Film Festival. It was a surprise box office hit, and it earned first-time writer-director John Singleton two Oscar nominations, one for his original screenplay and one for directing, making him both the youngest Best Director nominee at 24 years old and the first black person ever nominated for the award. He failed to win either Oscar. The film's lasting impact, however, is in its unique perspective on inner-city life. Released just one year before Los Angeles police officers were acquitted for the beating of Rodney King, sparking the L.A. riots, Boys in the Hood gave America a look at the hearts and minds of residents of South Central L.A. Years later, though, how does Boys in the Hood hold up? Is it still a vital and vibrant voice in film? Or have its message and methods lost the magic they once had? Keep listening. Somebody must have been praying for that fool. Cause I swear I ain't bright for his head. Should have blew it off. Don't say that. Don't say that. Just would have been contributing to killing another brother. And where are these fools? We've been waiting out here for almost an hour. You know that? <laughs> That is Lawrence Fishburne as Furious Styles talking to his son after a break-in, and he, you know, shot at the intruder but didn't kill him. And um, we see that young Trey has already sort of bought into the culture of violence, mm-hmm. and his father is trying hard to uh, teach him the correct ways to keep him out of that out of that path, which he pretty much does through the entire film for the most part. Yeah, trying to teach him the ways. Yeah. yeah. Um, so today we're talking about Boys in the Hood, like we said, um, it's a, a conversation prompted by the Oscars uh, for another year, not nominating uh, any non-white actors in uh, the four acting categories. Right. Um, it seems like they uh, have maybe tried to make some amends by changing yeah, the rules. Which is good. I think that is honestly a good step. It's a good step. Yeah. Um, Doesn't change this year, though. No, no. So th- we're talking about Boys in the Hood because back in 1991, which uh, you know was 25 years ago mm-hmm. now, Boys in the Hood is celebrating its 25th anniversary. Um, John Singleton, at 24 years old, was the the first black person nominated for Best Director, which is crazy. I mean, we're talking absolutely new director, <laughs> like never first made, time, yeah. never made anything, never made still anything. In, yeah, like was still in film school while he wrote the movie. Uh huh. Yeah, uh, especially egregious considering "Do the Right Thing" came out two years earlier. Oh, the omission you mean of yeah that, that of uh, Spike Lee as, right. as the egre- not yeah, being sorry. nominated. The uh, egregious omission of Spike Lee, who maybe made his best movie and in one 1989, of the best American and films one of the of best American time. films ever. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, made especially 
worse by the fact that Driving Miss Daisy won Best Picture that oh, year. That hurts. Which is such that a hurts. pandering. Have you seen that? Yeah. Oh, I wow. I mean, it's been a while, but just talk about whitewashing. No kidding. Race relations. So it's been kind of hotly debated. How how do uh, people of color respond to this? There are some people boycotting it. Some people saying that's not yeah. going to do anything. You've got white actors saying, "Well, it's not about race. It's about talent." Right. And and this, which, which I don't know this. this... Ryan, we are white. We are white. We are We're super white. white. We're and very white. it's very, I, I don't know, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging conversation, I think, even for us to have on this podcast yeah, uh, I think, as, I think, for who we are with oh, our identity. Absolutely. Yeah. I, where I have kind of come to in, you know, talking about racial inequality and that sort of thing, all I can say is I have no idea. <laughs> I have <laughs> no idea. I, I do not at all. Act like I understand, because mm-hmm. I don't. But I do see the inequality. Yes. And I do see the systemic problem. Mm-hmm. And okay, so maybe you could possibly argue that it's a, it's a talent thing. And the white performances that we saw, the, the what is it, 20 performances that were nominated right. were better than... A black that this is a this is a the, okay. the awards are all about merit. You and can there was just you can, nothing this you, year. Yeah, you can maybe argue that. I d- I don't agree with it, but you could argue that. But the fact is, the the number of movies made by white people is so disproportionate. It's mm-hmm. it's just the the most tangible thing to point to as the problem. And if if you stop at the Oscar nominations as the problem, then you've got a very weak argument that can stand up. But we understand that the problem is not just those nominations, that the problem goes so much deeper than that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but we also have no idea what it feels for the problem to go deeper. Like, like we we are not trying to be the voice. We're right. just trying to explore an issue that we think is very important and uh, do it through movies, yes. which is our, our, <laughs> that's our, our thing. frame of that's, reference. That's what the podcast is, right. yeah. Um, so that's a long disclaimer, but I really think it needs to be said. We we want to talk about this movie. We know we won't solve the issue, and we we I think it won't we won't get anywhere by necessarily right. like discussing it. But we we do want to see what Boys in the Hood has to say, and honestly, what it how it is to look at it twenty five years right. later. How does it stand up as a movie? Neither one of us has seen Boys in the Hood, so we don't necessarily need to go into a whole lot of uh, talk right. about why we didn't see it or anything like that, unless you want to share well, anything like no, that. I, I think... I mean, we're pretty I've, young. Well, yeah. No, yes. I was six <laughs> when this movie came out. Yeah. And I'm definitely I, not going to see it. Um, but I do think... Here's the thing. I, I, In reflecting on my life, I've realized, though, that 1991 and 1992 and black culture coming out of L.A., is actually a pretty important part of my childhood, mm-hmm. my growing up, in sort of a negative way. It, it uh, all that was coming out of L.A. at the time. I don't know if you remember. It was all the, I remember the LA so riots, vividly seeing the riots on TV rep, and being scared as a yes. kid seeing that, seeing them pull that, seeing the the footage of Reginald um, Denny was the truck driver, the truck you driver saw who got just, pulled just, out of his semi truck yeah. and beaten. Um, the looting, the 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 fires, um, and add to that the hysteria over gangster rap, the hysteria over cop killer. Yeah. Um, and and let's just be honest here. You grew up in kind of rural Wisconsin, near Milwaukee. Yeah. I grew up in rural Indiana. There wasn't a whole lot of sympathy for what was going on uh, from the black perspective no. in all of that, um, in, in just my environment and no. where I was. I remember, you know seeing the Rodney King beating mm-hmm. on TV a lot. They played it a lot on the news. Yeah. I remember seeing the verdict when mm-hmm. the cops were acquitted and being like the, the the tone of the people around me was, but he was a criminal. Right. He deserved to get beat. Which, and as a kid, you don't think much further than back that. You know? it, and looking back, it's so offensive. It you is. Know? Because honestly, the word over the years, as I look back on it, the word criminal, the word thug, Thug, have yes. all been used in place of the word black. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and I, it honestly, as a kid, I only grew up around white people and because of the way the news portrayed it, 
I honestly had like a fear of black people. Like yeah. that's that's just and like honest. even rap was something that it was like you know the bad kids listen. Everything to rap was music. aggressive and violent, yep. like in their interpretation of it. All they heard was the violence, not at all like, well, why would these people be feeling violent? Like, right. why would these artists be expressing themselves in a way that they needed to feel like? It was as if they were angry this. for no reason. Right. And it wasn't like we stopped all that often to think about maybe their anger has right. not just a little justification, but a whole hell of a lot of justification. Yeah, and they're, you know? they're the, like, NWA is actually having so much self-control right, right. now. Yeah. Um, to be trying to address it through music. Yeah. Um, and it's not till, you know, way later that we, I think later, both of us have been like, much, we much just later. don't understand. Embarrassingly we, we, yeah, later. Embarrassing, yes. Um, but so Boys in the Hood, it was all tied into that with, yeah. for me. So when I started, as I grew older in college and getting interested in film and saw Boys in the Hood up there with, you know, a lot of the other movies that, are seen as milestones in film. I was like, Boys in the Hood, really? Like, it just seemed like... Yeah. And I'll be honest, by the time I was looking into that as far as like, what is important? Like, what should I see? Right. What should I go back and check out? And Do the Right Thing was definitely there and I caught oh up with it. Gosh. But I'll be honest, Boys in the Hood, the title alone yeah. kind of threw me off I because it's kind of cheesy. Uh -huh. I don't know. I don't know any way it they'll put feels, it. It feels, no, nine, it feels, it feels late it feels 80s, 90s, 90s. It yeah. feels... Uh, it feels um, commercial. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like a studio put this together yeah. and they wanted to pander mm -hmm. to black culture right. with the N instead of actually spelling out and that, that, and it wasn't until the Z and right. Yeah. And it wasn't until, I mean, even maybe for this podcast that we looked into it and I was like, oh yeah, you know, that's actually mm -hmm. John Singleton is someone who this is, this is something he embodied and it right. was his project. It was a yeah. personal his project. Story. Yeah. I mean, he, he lived it's it. It's coming from a very true place. Right. And so I should not have written it off so long ago, right. you know? And so on seeing it, I see how honest it was. I see how clear the vision and the storytelling is that mm -hmm. there's nothing pandering about it. Right. At um, all. Now, right. do we want to do the, the, the letterbox thing? You know, do you want to? I haven't thought about a letterbox rating yet. For any new listeners out there, we have a Letterboxd accounts. It's a place where you can go and just rate the music, the mm -hmm. movies you've been seeing. And in our episodes, we usually like to just start just very quickly laying down our baseline star rating sure. for the movie before we jump in to kind mm -hmm. of figure out where we're coming from. Mm -hmm. it, it, this is um, this is a hard one. I, I agree. I, I'm gonna go with a with a three and a half. Okay, but I am definitely willing to be talked up because I think there's a lot there. You yeah, know? yeah. I'm gonna go with four. Okay. Uh, I have mixed feelings about this movie, cinematically, as a, as a movie. Okay. Let's start by saying I, I can't imagine what would have happened if more people saw this movie in 1991. Maybe not much, but I feel like it is the antidote to everything the news was saying hmm. at the time. Well, yeah. I mean, you're, at the very least, you're humanizing yeah. the people who live in South Central LA. Yeah. Yeah, at the very least, that's the bare minimum the, of what this movie does. Yeah, the idea that like you can't talk about an entire region of one of the biggest cities in America with any generality like you are. Right, like, the black people are rioting in South Central LA. <laughs> like, oh, all of them, every single one of them. Well, is and apparently, I, is how the news reported it. In my recollection, this movie just says there are so many people trying to do good things right. or living right. And not fleeing that area and trying to be good influences and trying to better their lives. I was actually watching um, some of the special features on the the Blu-ray copy that I had of Boys mm -hmm. in the Hood. And they just had a, a more recent interview with Cuba Gooding Jr. And his whole feeling on the movie was that it, at the time, it was speaking to both black and white people. Uh, mostly for blacks, it was a way of saying, here's a movie finally for you. Like, this is mm -hmm. our experience. But the movie also was speaking to white audiences as far as Cuba Gooding Jr. was concerned in saying, you think we're animals. Mm -hmm. And this is to show you that you might think we're animals by what you see on TV, but those actions are pretty much just aspects of survival mm. in a environment. We are human beings just like you. We have 
families that we care for. We like to barbecue. Right. We like to hang out. You know, we're, we're kids coming of age, just like your kids are coming of age. Mm-hmm. We're no different as far as human beings are concerned. Right. And that the movie was trying to change an overall perception that the people who live there are really just like caged animals. The caging sort of mindset is kind of exacerbated by the the idea that at night, there's just constant sweeping of searchlights Mm -hmm. and dogs barking. And it's like, how is this feeling different than being in a prison? The, the searchlights, the, the police patrol. Right. And the police aren't there to do any real Mm -mm. governing or any sort of protection at all. They're basically just there to maintain Mm -hmm. the people, keep them where they're at. Right. Right. Let them do whatever they want to do to each other. Yeah. Just make sure that they stay where they're at. Right. Their interactions with the police are some of like the hardest to watch moments in the movie where if you haven't seen the movie, there's a break in at Furious's house, which is what we were talking about in the very beginning of the episode, the clip we played. Right after that, the police show up and one of them is white and one of them is black. Well, actually not right after that. They have to wait for well, like, wait a, like an, an hour. hour. Yeah. An hour. So yeah, it, it highlights the lack of concern right. or urgency on the police's part to you know meet the needs respond but the the white officer is just kind of there just kind of like okay taking some facts and stuff but the black police officer is extremely aggressive uses racial epithets and actually flat out laments the fact that the burglar hadn't been killed because Mm -hmm. he thinks it would be better for society for you know certain people to to just die right um, and then he comes up later again and is just extremely violent and aggressive towards the main character, Trey. Trey yeah. Got any drugs or weapons on you? No. I didn't do nothing. You think you tough. You think you tough, huh? You're scared now, huh? I like that. I took this job. I hate little motherfuckers like you. It's just, it's a very interesting, because I guess as as a white viewer, I would have been like, oh, well, they would show like a white police officer being the aggressor. But that is one of the ways that this movie is from a black voice to black audiences. Because it begins with the statistic that one Mm -hmm. in 21 inner city youths will be murdered. most of that will be at the hands of another black person. And I really liked the opening of this film, by the Mm -hmm. way. Like, I really thought that having those statistics just starkly put like that put you in a very good mindset for what you were about to see. And then it just zooms right in on a stop sign. Right. Just stop. (laughs) Like, stop. And I don't know if that's a sort of a a, more of a message about, like, Mm -hmm. the violence has to stop or if it's more of a to the viewer, stop what you're doing and pay attention to this. Well, and it also... Here's facts because this movie is going to be written off as angry, you know. Well, yeah, that could be too. <laughs> and, yeah, um, but like the idea that some of that that it, the community is dividing itself and that people are buying into the system by being a police officer, and he's not helping at all. He's he's being so destructive to that community, to people of his own race, and so I just thought that that was a, a really I never would have considered that perspective mm-hmm. but it's it's one that they deal with every day there's the distrust for the police rightly so and then the extra betrayal felt when it's a black, a police, black officer. police officer yeah 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 and that's actually why i felt like you know if this was just a, a pander to some sort of what they wanted to feel was a good cause oh we want to make okay. a great a great movie about this Raising social awareness. issue yeah kind of like the um guess who's coming to dinner yeah but for the late 80s early 90s let's talk about black culture in yeah. america and and do it in a very hollywood way but the police issue there is a lot of race in that yeah and racial issues in that but by having a lot of the worst offenses from police come from another uh, african-american I think it just it speaks volumes to the complications of the issues and that it's not as simple as white people hate black people. Right. It's much more systemic. Yeah. And that it's systemic to the point where you even have people of the same color who once they get that level of authority become no different than right. mm-hmm. the people who originally yeah. created the system to begin with. Right, right, right. 
I was thinking about the title and I don't know, in my mind, the way I, the way I kind of hear it, it's sort of playing with the idea that it would be like slangy and like, sure, the kids like spell it with a Z and like, mm-hmm. but it's also at that time. And even now, even now, I, we got to kind of stop acting like it's all salt. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> we should probably get to that at some point in this conversation. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure we will. But even now, I know I've heard white people who, I don't even want to do it, but like say brother or like, oh, the boys, mm-hmm. you know, like use that slang as a way of solidifying the stereotype of like the gangster and like, oh yeah, the boys in the hood, I know what they're like. I know what I know what the boys are like. Yeah, that's the gangbanger, mm-hmm. like whatever. But he's saying boys in the hood, it's a college bound athlete. Right. It's a mortgage broker. Right. This is the diversity of the people that you're lumping into that right. group. Like, lumping in as you watch comfortably from the suburbs. You yes. like to romanticize this quote unquote thug life. Yeah. Some people romanticize it. Some people just like demonize it. Well, yeah. And when one way or the other, but I right. think especially youth, I mean, when I was in high school, yeah. you know, it wasn't so much that it was, it was a appropriated certain... somebody else's culture. Right. It was a rebellion against your, your parents. And mm-hmm. it was a way to, experience something new without any of the the realities of it i think what singleton is saying is you've Mm -hmm. got no idea thug life is real people good people none of the fact that you've got doughboy played by ice cube which at the time must have been super shocking yeah who is involved in that yeah does but not a bad person but a good right Right. but a good person with good friends people are trey is friends with him and trey wants to go to college trey wants to uh, treat his girlfriend right and Doughboy knows Furious, and Furious is a great influence. Right. Doughboy's got his areas of problems where he is in the drug game and he is carrying his gun and he's got like the the tricked out car. Um, but his brother is a clean cut, like I said, college bound athlete, college mm-hmm. recruited athlete. But that college recruited athlete is a teen father. Who's living? Who's got his girlfriend and son living with him and his mm-hmm. mom? You can't say he's bad because he carries a gun. Like, no, he's actually a pretty good friend and right. he's a good brother. Or he's bad because he's, he's a teenage father. Or yeah. he's good because he's a college athlete. Yeah. Well, he also messed up a little bit and has a kid. He's like, oh well, that's bad. And he's like, no, but he's a really good dad. Right. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. well, like it's just I don't know how a white audience could have watched this movie in '91 and not just like had the doors blown off of their perception. And I think another way that Singleton highlights that that life is not all that different is by actually looking at the type of movie it is, which is you could interpret as a coming of age film. Yep. And I think playing with that idea uh, by referencing a very popular white coming of age film in Stand By Me, having four kids and having one of them say you want to go see a dead body. You know, these are kids just like the kids that you loved in Stand By Me. Right. They've got the same kind of junior high fascinations that that and fashion with, and fashion and clothes yeah. they weren't wearing very stereotypical clothing like right. button down shirts or and they were still t-shirts. the they those kids just like the kids in stand by me get picked on by the older kids <laughs> and yep. you feel just as much for them when they are mm-hmm. if you wanted to boil this movie down it's just another coming of age movie uh, but it's also so much more than that Right. Just by Absolutely. it being set in the setting that it's in and yeah. being a setting that just isn't portrayed very often in the way that Singleton portrays it, which yeah. is really just realistically. Right, right, you know? right. I mean, it's sort of just saying two kind of com- not conflicting things, but like we're all the same in that we need to come of age. But also you have no idea what it's like to come of age in, in that this environment. environment. Um there were some touches in the movie that just struck me as so realistic and sadly realistic. And I can just hear the conversations or like, I can hear those things happening in real life. And one of those is there's the white teacher at the school, the white teacher teaching the kids, you Mm -hmm. know, and I'm pretty out of touch with the way they're talking and learning. And then when Trey fights calls home and instead of asking about Trey, she asks whether the mother is employed and asks if, if the, she, if she went, what, what the, if if she the went to school around and, and if the yeah. father's around. Yeah. There's a problem in the home. Are, are you employed? 
That's really none of your business. But since you asked, I am employed and I'm studying to receive my master's degree. Then you are educated. Listen, are we gonna talk about me or my son? I'm sorry, uh, well, we'll be happy to see Trey back in class on Tuesday. Oh, his suspension was only for three days, you know. No, I don't think you'll be seeing Trey again. And why is that, may I ask? Because Trey is going to live with his father. His father? Yes, his father. Or did you think we made babies by ourselves? I am 100% certain that in white suburban schools, if a child fights, it, there is no, now are you working? Are you, you know, <laughs> right. for the call home? But immediately, because it's a black mother and a single mother, like the, you, you, they start questioning her fitness as a mother. Right. Rather than like trying to help her son. A lot of people would do that thinking that they were being helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. And I think and it's that, one of the, it's another thing that I'm like, I don't know. I, I would, I have no right. idea what that's like because nobody would do that to me. In that scene, you get a glimpse of what it's like, you know, that you probably as a white person just never even thought of. Like, I think I, and I'm not, I'm going to be honest here. I hear so many times white people say things like they're just being really oversensitive about this. Yes. Even with the awards stuff, I've heard that. I've heard someone mm -hmm. say, you know, if if there was nothing worth what's nominating, the then what's the big deal? Yeah. They're just being really oversensitive about this all over again. They always say that all over again, yep. you know, like as if we took care of this already. Why are, are they we bringing it back still talking here? about and, this? And, you know, Boys in the Hood is 25 years old. There are elements that look dated, but they're all aesthetic. All aesthetic. Yes. There, there is nothing at the core of this movie that is dated whatsoever. Right. And that's really sad. So and, and, sad. And if you need any more proof, it's the fact that a movie like Chirac had to come out this year. Mm -hmm. And there are so many similarities yep. between that movie and Boys in the Hood. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tremendously sad how relevant this movie still feels. Yeah. And you're right. So this week... Um, I always do in my classes, uh, like a, they have a nonfiction article and then they have to answer questions about it. And this week it was about the Oscars. Um, somebody wrote an op-ed saying that Chris Rock should use his time hosting to call the Oscars out. Like he should just take it to him, which Chris Rock is amazing at taking things to people. Yeah. Like <laughs> bringing them down. Yeah. yeah. And some of my kids, and I teach at a mostly white school, one kid was like, well, this is a pretty liberal article. And my co-teacher was like, it's just about equality for people. If you think that's a liberal idea, I, I, I think that's sad. <laughs> right. Um, but you said it like you disagree with it. And he, was, he said the same thing. Like, well, if there weren't any nominees, it's about what's better. Like, yeah. It's, I had another student who, the author is Muslim of this article, he was just, he said something very like factual, like that the, all the, all the nominees were all white or something. Like he he just said something factual about white people. They're all white. Mm -hmm. And my student wrote in the margins, it feels like he hates white people. And I was like, that's sensitive. <laughs> that is playing yeah, the race card. Yeah. But I hear white people do that all the time. I, I, another time I showed actually in a class when I was getting my master's, I showed a, a clip from Chris Rock's standup, which has one of like the greatest lines I've ever heard where he's talking about how he lives in a, I think I've talked about it in this podcast. He talks about how um, he lives in a neighborhood with three other black people, uh, him, Eddie Murphy, Mary J. Blige, and Jay-Z. Jay and he talks about how they are all top of their game entertainers. Mm -hmm. His neighbor's a dentist. And he's like, yeah. he's not the best dentist in the world. He didn't invent teeth. And he says, black people have to fly to get to where white people can walk to. Right. And I had a classmate write to me, it feels like he's racist against white people. Mm -hmm. And it's so maddening to me that, yeah. they, that white people will say they're being sensitive. Then as soon as somebody says, well, I don't think that white people should have all the privilege. Mm -hmm. like, well, that's racist. It's just, it's just so embarrassing, the narrow scope of it. Well, okay, so uh, what? maybe we should talk a little bit, though, about... Was there anything that, that you didn't love about Boys Well, yeah. <laughs> maybe we should get into that a little bit. We should. I wrote in my notes, it's disappointingly conventional. Yeah. I and what do you mean by that? I think the score, yeah, it's, it's very weak. It's very overwrought. It's like really... Sappy. 
and it doesn't do the actors any favors. No. <laughs> Especially, I don't know how this is going to sound. I feel like coming out of South Central LA in 1991, and the only rap song is playing in like people's cars, and then at the end, this movie could have felt so much more propulsive. Yeah. With a more like of that moment score like ask dre to come up with some music for it right. or um especially during some of the trey styles more uh, emotional scenes that feel soap opera ish uh, and it's oh, the it's score bad. you know it's not his performance it's not the mm -hmm. way the camera's shooting him or anything i it's think just in the part score. it is the way the camera's shooting him the lighting oh, okay is so unnatural hmm. i could see that yeah the lighting it's just everything is like bright light Every room had apparently so much light. Daylight and indoors looked the same. Mm -hmm. And to me, that really was like... Took you out of it a little bit. Yeah. 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 It felt very cheap. But I mean, I'm not going to like totally fault the movie for that. Right. But it was, it was just one of those things. This feels in a lot of ways like a director's first movie, yes. even though it's super mm -hmm. impressive. <clears throat> yeah. But there are moments where It's I'm very confident, like, though. Um, yeah, yeah. For a first try, it's incredible, yeah. you know. But it still has those touches that make yes. you kind of that remind you a more assured or a more control. yeah a more uh, experienced director would have probably made a different choice in right. here. Yeah, there's something very weird in the way that it's a great scene, but there's the scene where Furious takes Trey, his son, and Ricky, the college-bound kid, to Compton. Mm -hmm. And that scene's incredible. That is an incredible scene, but it feels unnatural in the way it unfolds. Like yep. all of a sudden, everyone in the street just kind of gathers around him. I mean, yeah. maybe there's a, a point to that. I almost kind of feel like Lawrence Fishburne, who plays Furious, he's kind of like a Jesus character. Yeah. Like he almost gives like his sermon, sermon on, on the, the mount, mount to them in that scene, but also to Trey in the beginning when he lays out his like rules for a living. Yeah. You know? And so I get that as a character. Like I'm even fine with it having that sort of messianic quality to it and, yeah. and, and kind of bringing the ideas of, I mean, a lot of people compare him to Malcolm in the movie. Yeah. But again, it's, it's more just in the way it unfolds in the movie. Yeah. It's the movie's way of, it just felt like this seems very unnatural. All these people are just sort of gathering around for what? Well, what, like did the, he have a yeah. reputation where every right. time he comes out, you're going to want to hear this guy talk. I, I didn't yeah. get that sense. No, I, I agree. You know, the shooting of it, it seemed like a, a stranger coming into an area. Right. And, and people coming to see what's this guy all about, but they didn't come antagonistically, the you know, way, like I thought they did. That was the way I saw it unfolding. Cause Trey and Ricky seemed like, what are we they doing seem scared. here? You're going to yes. get a shot. Yeah. And then they, like these strangers pull up in this car and the people started coming across the street. Right. And I thought they looked very menacing. Like, what are you doing here? And being very unwelcoming. Furious wasn't afraid of it. Yeah. Because he was there with a message that he thought that he knew they needed to hear. And it was a, Incredible. I mean, this is like a perfect little sermon on gentrification. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the message, what it stands for. It's called gentrification. It's what happens when the property value of a certain area is brought down. Huh? You listening? Yeah. They bring the property value down. They can buy the land at a lower price. Then they move all the people out, raise the property value, and sell it at a profit. Now, what we need to do is we need to keep everything in our neighborhood, everything black. Black owned with black money, just like the Jews, the Italians, the Mexicans, and the Koreans do. Ain't nobody from outside bringing down the property value. It's these folks shooting each other and selling that crack rock and shit. Well, how you think the crack rock gets into the country? We don't own any planes. We don't own no ships. But we are not the people who are flying and floating that shit in here. I know every time you turn on the TV, that's what you see. Black oh, people yeah. selling the rock, right. pushing the rock, yeah. pushing the rock. Yeah, I know. But that wasn't a problem as long as it was here. Wasn't a problem until it was in Iowa and it showed up on Wall Street where there are hardly any black people. Now, if you want to talk about uh, guns, why is it that there's a gun shop on almost every corner in this community? Why? Tell you why. For the same reason that there's a liquor store on almost every corner in the black community. Why? They want us to kill ourselves. You go out to Beverly Hills. You yeah, I agree. Uh, and but then like the content saves the movie for me because the content is so vital and alive. Now, I I feel like the filmmaking techniques and the look maybe don't work well with us because 
it's just been mimicked since because mm. every review I read from that time, like Roger Ebert's four star review of it and the time review, everybody just called it such an exciting, vibrant movie that was just like nothing they had seen before. Right. I'm like, okay. And I was trying to think of like what were things that were fresh at that time. And one was, uh, I, I wondered if maybe like when he's telling his dad about how he had sex and his yes, voiceover, his voiceover is, is the voice the way of the woman. people are yeah. talking like instead of going back to the flashback and having the scene play out yeah, i did notice see that, the scene yeah. and he's telling the story um i wondered if that had been a new technique at the time um then copied in drunk history yeah right <laughs> right i don't know maybe the barbecue scene i think that's have, a great scene it is i love a great that scene, scene. Yeah, yeah but it still it feels like the rest of the movie mm-hmm. but i think Maybe at the time it w- it could have felt alive and it popped off the screen more than it does now. Yeah. What's up, my brother? Look how she wants to talk to you over there. Yeah, I know. I'm just taking my time. Oh, I see. So you are uh, trying to run that game. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I'm doing. Well, uh, I'm doing just fine. Just fine. Except for one thing. Yeah, what's we'll that? She left. What? <laughs> now there's i don't think there's a bad scene in the movie really from like a content standpoint do you um there's scenes that as i'm watching it i'm kind of like is this cheesy Mm -hmm. or am i just a little preachy yeah too much to the point some of when when cuba gooding jr's character trey styles is really kind of having his breakdown moments i was kind of like you know is this too much Mm -hmm. is it kind of getting into um melodrama melodrama? yeah oh i see you want to end up like little chris in a wheelchair huh right no no you want to end up like doughboy huh no give me the gun trey Son, and I'm not gonna lose you to no bullshit, you hear? I love you, man. The score doesn't help with that. We've right. already talked about that. Cuba but then, Junior's performance doesn't help with that. Yeah, it's not, but it's a really good performance. But I think there's something very fascinating about the fact that Trey Styles reacts the way you would expect someone to react when someone is shot. Mm-hmm. And Ice Cube comes, and this is his brother, and it's it's strange. Like you know that this has hit him deeply, but he doesn't show it really. It's right. very true to me in that performance. So it's kind of counterbalanced. He doesn't break down. Yeah, he doesn't break down. He like if they actually, were all doing that, right. then it would be like a little much. But since that was how Trey reacted, and it was so different, then that Trey's feels realer. Trey's feels more plausible. Trey's feels like what what you would think you would do Mm. if someone very close to you had lost their life. Yeah. And there's something very complex about, I think, what what Ice Cube is. I don't know if it's intentional, but at least it's what Mm -hmm. he's showing on screen. Yeah. You can kind of tell he feels like he's, in a way, failed his brother. Yeah. But only really because he felt like he he didn't get to the alley in time. There's also Mm. something very complex about the fact that they had just fought beforehand, so he's yeah. probably still carrying some yeah, of that anger. No, yeah, you're right. That's all in there. It's all in there, but there's he's really, I mean, for someone who's never acted before, I can't tell if it's because they've never acted or if he's just that good and he's underplaying it. Yeah. You know, he's actually playing it as someone who sees themselves as kind of a gangster, and I mean actually a gangster, a member right, of like a like, gang. And, and tries to show that. Even later on when he seeks revenge, it's so his it's face sad. is so stone faced. Yeah. Like there's not you can't tell that he's super angry when he shoots him. He's you can't tell that. He, yeah, it's not. not like I'm getting what I need out of this. It's going through the motions. Yes. Yeah. Which is part of what the movie's saying. That there isn't really malice to any of this. It's just what you do. This it's like is what everyone, we know. It's like everyone's got a code they live by. What do you do when someone gets shot? You yeah. shoot someone else. This is how it goes. Here's how I act towards women. Here's how I act towards people I don't know. Right. And someone who doesn't live in that environment would say, 
well, yeah, but we all know killing someone's wrong. Yeah. So why would you go do you that? Have a but choice. you realize nobody made you nobody pull made that you trigger. Do that. But then you realize there's no justice in the legal system about this. You know, the cops aren't going to come and take care of this. Right. And if the cops do show up, do you think they're going to be sympathetic? Right. Or they're going to see everybody as a suspect and find a way to prosecute anybody they can. You know, through these characters, you're living their yeah. experience, and you completely understand, though they are just going through the motions, why they're there. Right. You know. So I guess what I'm the whole point of what I'm saying about that is the melodrama that it maybe seems to sink into. You know, I don't know if that's uh, a weakness of the film when you have it sort of weighed out with these other yeah. moments that seem so. Yeah. Are uh, you just showing us the spectrum of emotion? Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's how I saw it. Balance doesn't mean neutral. Yeah, you know. So maybe another point where I'm not sure how I feel about the movie is the character of Ricky. Is is that mm-hmm. too stock of a character? I wondered that he, too. He um he kind of serves the purpose to where I knew pretty early on, maybe that even when they were still kids, die. that he was going to die. And yeah. I was trying to remember: did I just know that because of what I heard about the movie, or is it just it's that just obvious? Telegraph. That sort of archetypal character of the, the the sort of weak person who you know has to die. Oh, you think he's yeah. weak? Well, how is he? I mean, he's he's strong in the sense that yeah, I mean, you're right. He's a good father. Uh, he's a good person. I mean, the movie makes him weak, right? I mean, he doesn't stand up for himself when the football is taken from him as a kid. Yeah. And he needs Doughboy to kind of defend him almost his entire life. He does, Um, but he doesn't become like Doughboy. No, he doesn't. So he's strong in character. Yeah. Which is exactly what, you you know, that's what, again, this is a guy who was the most upright character. There was like nothing you could, I mean, unless you really wanted to, to dig and fault him for being a teenage father. Right. Otherwise, there was like, nothing wrong with this guy yeah you know he was a perfect individual i you know? the way i kind of interpreted that was a, a, an argument against people who think that it's easy to get out like he was on his way out but he had to be peak athlete mm-hmm. you know he had to fly to get to where the white man could walk to yeah he, you're right he was so close and he did everything right but just where they live what I'm I'm trying to wrestle with is the burden that is on a filmmaker like Singleton with a movie like this. Yeah. There's a heavy burden of the message you're sending across that sadly has to represent your entire ethnicity. And so the characters sometimes sacrifice nuance for being what needs to get the message across. Right. I don't know if I can fault Singleton for that at all. Yeah. But it well, still becomes the reality of like I don't think I Ricky still think is all that nuance to Ricky because you look at that scene with the recruiter mm-hmm. and the way he can't wait to get out of there, even though he's black, and the way that he they have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. It's a microcosm of a burden that we know nothing about, right? where no matter what type of person you are, you get lumped in with the lowest common denominator. It's the same reason... When there's a there's a the demonstrations in Ferguson, and white pundits were calling on Barack Obama to to like it's like really Barack Obama doesn't have anything to do with it. Right. Like as a president, he does. But were people calling on Barack Obama to comment on the people in Oregon? I don't. Not really. Right. But were people calling on? You mean um, the people who were uh, who had taken over the, the, the federal the, land? The occup- yeah. yeah. Were people calling on Paul Ryan? Like, you need to, what's going on with white people? Like, that never happened. But for black people, for minorities, religious minorities too, one person who identifies anywhere near with what you identify with, and they do a terrible thing, you have to, you have to explain that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that just being in that community. Right. Which is something that I didn't really think all that much about you know, the sort of guilt that you might have if you do leave the community until I listen to like Kendrick Lamar yes, and yeah. the, the, what's the track onto Pimp a Butterfly where he's, he's drunk wrestling mm-hmm. with this idea of like leaving his community behind yeah, and feeling like almost an obligation to that community because you did somehow get out of it. Right. You know, or even on how much uh, does a dollar cost? He has made it out and the homeless person is asking him for money and he's like, I don't owe you anything. But then he kind of wrestles with, well, do I owe him something? And yeah, Ricky may be a, a broadly drawn stock character, but I think he, to me, it underlines the idea: you have to be nearly perfect to be not lumped in mm-hmm. with the worst elements in your community. Yeah, 
what I do appreciate about Boys in the Hood, take a different character like Furious Styles, the Lawrence Fishburne mm -hmm. character. The movie does a really great job of messing with your assumptions right away, especially for a white audience. Yes. Because what did you think this guy was going to oh, be? Oh, yeah. Like? I thought it was going to be a terrible house. And, like... and that the guy was going to be a terrible father because... Right. Where was he? And when she brings him over, he's smiling and she's like, you wanted this. And he's like, I did. Like, it was yeah. pretty much like you finally got what you wanted. He wanted his son the right. whole time. It's just that they thought it would be better to, for him to be with his mother. And up to that point, it was. And he was a father figure to so many of the other boys. Yeah. Like, you don't really see many other fathers, really. Well, he he says that. Yeah. You know, like he talks up when he tells them to rake up the leaves and he says, you know, I know you're you think I'm being hard on you, but a lot of these kids in the neighborhood don't have this. Well, and... The movie's a pretty strong, and I thought this was surprising, a strong treatise against male chauvinism and male control and the illusion that men can control women. There are a lot of female characters, even just side characters, who stand up for themselves. Yeah. Like, why we all have to be bitches and hoes? And even Reva Stiles, the, mm -hmm. the mother character, you know, uh, aside from the fact that the whole time she's working on a master's degree, yeah. you get that really great conversation between her and, and Furious at the restaurant. Uh, the whole time you're thinking, boy, this is a really great father. You know, he's so great. He's, you know, he's there mm -hmm. for his son. And then the movie reminds you, she actually says, you're not special yeah. for watching your own son, <laughs> for taking care of your own and son. All of that, but Trey is a grown man now. He is not a little boy anymore. That time has passed, sweetheart. You missed it. Excuse me, I'm going to get some cigarettes. No, you're not getting off that easy. Sit your ass down. Excuse me? I said, sit your ass down before I raise my voice and make a fool out of both of us. Okay. Now, it's my time to talk. Of course you took in your son, my son, our son. And you taught him what he needed to be a man. I'll give you that, because most men ain't man enough to do what you did. That gives you no reason, do you hear me? No reason to tell me that I can't be a mother to my son. What you did is no different from what mothers have been doing from the beginning of time. It's just too bad more brothers won't do the same. But don't think you're special. Don't think that the fact that he's raising his son is what makes him great. Right. What's great about this guy is the wisdom he has right you know yeah and and the way that he's able to sort of bestow that on not just his son but other people in the community and that he i, I don't i couldn't quite gather what he did for a living it had something to do with the mortgage broker yeah it had something to do with housing he's kind of like the george bailey he did it for the community he did it for the town yeah. you know it wasn't just to make his own profits and i also really like that his name is furious because there's a lot of narrative that immediately writes off anybody who's angry. I love that this guy is furious and thoughtful and a good father and effective and noble. And it just reminds you, not so subtly, that there's a lot of anger in level-headed people. And there should be. There should be a lot of right. anger. So basically, after seeing this movie, I think we both feel like it is frustratingly relevant. Right. I wish we could watch it and be like, boy, that's a relic wow, of the past. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's it certainly is not. It's still a very important movie. Almost, you know, primary source. I'm I'm very glad I saw it. I'm I'm glad I finally saw it. I Me think too. I think my letterbox rating, I'm gonna hold it at a four. Yeah. I'll bump it up to a four. Yeah, might as well. Like you said, I'm so glad I watched it. Yeah. And I think everyone should watch it. I'm pretty sure we're best buds on this. Yeah, I, I think feel so. Like, uh, I feel like we'd be perpetuating a cycle of violence if we were anything but. Right. And I don't want to look back on this episode 25 years later and sadly <laughs> say nothing's changed nothing between changed. me and Ryan. <laughs> yeah. So let's keep it at best buds. Sounds good. And uh, why don't we go ahead and uh, let's talk about what we're going to do in our next episode of Can We Still Be Friends? Yeah. Um, we try to tie things in. To, to, to what's happening in the world or with movies. Try. We try. We try. Sometimes it works really well. Sometimes it works too well. Sometimes... We're reaching. Yeah. Sometimes we're reaching. This time we're sort of reaching. We're sort of not. Hail Caesar by the Coen brothers uh, came out. A movie we're very excited about. Super excited. Because we really enjoy the Coen brothers. Love the Coen brothers. Um, Nate's <laughs> sons yeah. are Joel and Ethan. My, my <laughs> 
<laughs> he yeah. named his sons. But yeah, it's not because of the Coen brothers, but it didn't hurt. It's certainly uh, factored into it a little bit. So we are going to be doing the movie Barton Fink. Yes. Another it, 25. It came out year 25 years, years ago, 1991. Yeah. Boys so in the piggybacking hood, off Fink, of sure. this Boys in the Hood conversation. There's the, a connection? A there bit. is. There is. There are connections. But the fact of the matter is, we really want to watch another Coen brothers movie. Right. Have we, we haven't done a Coen Brothers movie. We have this, not. Which, we which haven't. Is, because we don't necessarily disagree about them. Right. But this is one. Okay, so Nate and I have both seen Barton Fink. But we I saw it a long time ago. And I feel like I kind of saw it with one eye. Like, I got it so I could check it off the list pretty much. Yep. But I have not. I couldn't tell you a lot about it. Right. But I remember really liking it. Right. I just don't really remember why. <laughs> right. So we're going to watch Barton Fink and talk about that. For our next episode. Hopefully by then we've seen Hail Caesar as well. Right. And maybe we can bring that into the conversation so, as well. So the, the fact of the matter is, this is our podcast. We do what we want. Right. Um, you can't stop us. Yeah. So stop trying. <laughs> Watch it with us. If you've seen Barton Fink, let us know what you think. Yeah. Or if you <laughs> have a... Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, it was so great. poetic. That was great. Wow. Um, if you haven't seen Boys in the Hood, we definitely think that you should. You should. It would be good to see Oops. Boys in the Hood. Nate, come on. It's old. I'm just trying to keep up, man. <laughs> I understand. This I is the understand. closest we're ever going to get to a rap battle. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and I conclusively won. You did. So, as usual, you've you've got Twitter. Our handle is at CWSBF uh, to reach out to us there. Yeah, chime in a little bit. Maybe you have a favorite Coen Brothers movie. Maybe you're crazy and you don't like the Coen Brothers movie. Wow, that's Coen pretty Brothers. judgmental. Maybe you don't like the Coen Brothers and you would like to tell us why, and we can tell you why we those can, reasons are wrong. Uh, you, you've got you. You can uh, like us on Facebook, uh, iTunes ratings. You could give us an old five star rating on iTunes or four stars or whatever. Or Just, you can make a podcast about uh, what you rated our episodes with a friend. And yeah, we don't have a spinoff podcast we don't. yet. Can we still be friends? About can we still be friends? That's just uh, off the top of my head. One title I, yeah. that, that could work. Spit spitballing um, here. Yeah, you could send us an email at feedback <laughs> at canwestillbefriends.net or find us on our website. Can we still be of friends? The, of the same yeah. domain. You can also uh, leave us a message. Uh, voicemail box is not quite full, so you can <laughs> fill it up if you want <laughs> with your thoughts. Eight four seven three zero six nine five three two. We would love to hear from you. Mm -hmm. So um, we just want to thank you, as always, for listening yep. to us ramble about uh -huh. a movie for a while. And uh, we hope you watch Barton Fink with us. Let us know what you think of Boys in the Hood. And watch the Oscars. And uh, sure. chime in about that as well. We'll yeah. probably do the same. I bet. I don't see why not. Might as well. I don't get out much. Nope. Especially on Sunday nights. It's a real downer of an ending. <laughs> yeah, we're lonely and uh, boring. And Anyway. No, we're but not we're friends. We're, we're not best lonely. Buds. We're not lonely. Right? Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.